So we started last week our series through the letters of John. Uh, we covered the first four verses, verse 1 to 4, uh, where John the Apostle tells us about the source of joy, uh, where it comes from. Our source of joy should obviously come from fellowship with God. It should come from God Himself. And I hope this is true for all of us here this morning, um, that we are experiencing joy. I hope this is true, um, that we have fellowship with God. And this letter really is for Christians. It's for um, believers, people who have faith in Christ already. So um, if you're not a believer, a lot of these things may not make sense to you, but it's a challenge nonetheless for you to make sure that you are right with God, if you want to experience this joy that he's talking about. And John the Apostle explains in this letter how the Christian life is essentially fellowship with the triune God. And through that fellowship, fellowship with all other true believers. And John gives several tests. In fact, he gives three specific tests of whether one has fellowship with the living God. And he gives a doctrinal test, he gives a relational test, and he gives a moral test. Uh, the doctrinal test is, do you believe what the Gospel says about Jesus Christ? Do you believe what the Apostles taught about Jesus Christ? The second test is the relational test. Do you, do you love the brethren? Um, those that are in relation with you. Do you have a, a love for your fellow Christians? Um, are you mutually committed to one another? Do you have a shared life? And that's what we are trying to inculcate in our church. This, this habit, this culture of this relational life with each other. And that's why we encourage all the time to come to these home groups. And then of course is the, the moral test. The third one is the moral test. Are you living in accordance with God's Word? And John shows that true sonship is not um, inactive. It's not passive. But rather it is active. True Fellowship with God is active as we, we live this joyful, redeemed life in service for our Savior out of our love and obedience to Him. And as I said last week, this is a very practical letter as John shows how the, the Christian life flows from the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So first John, we're going to look at the first five verses this morning, but I'm going to read from verse 1 so we can remember the context again this morning. 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But... If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Father, God forbid that any of us this morning would be calling you a liar, or making you a liar by not being willing to admit that we are sinners in need of a Savior. God forbid this morning, Lord, that any of us are lying to ourselves by making excuses for the sins that we are enjoying, the sins, Lord, that we have committed, the sins, Lord, that we are tolerating in our own lives. God forbid that. We pray, Lord, if that is true this morning, you would expose us, expose our sins with the light of your radiant beauty. We pray, Lord, for your help this morning as we say this very, very important truth. If you are light, in you is no darkness at all. Help us to see the beauty of your glory this morning. Open our eyes, Lord, and the Spirit of God illuminate this truth into our hearts and minds this morning. That we may understand and we may respond. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Last week we saw the Apostle John start his letter by asserting that unless we have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, we cannot have biblical fellowship with each other. Really, otherwise, if we do not have fellowship with God, then our meeting, our church is just a, a rotary club, it's just an alliance club, it's just a social gathering. If we are not committed and united to the, the Lordship of, of Jesus Christ. Such fellowship with God is, of course, the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. Christianity is not, at its core, just observing some rituals or observing some rules. Christianity is a, is a walk of personal fellowship with the living God. Now, last year, I finished my dissertation where I completed a research paper on professing Christians, their understanding of the gospel um, there where we were ministering in the state of Maharashtra in India. And the results that uncovered some troubling statistics. 72% of the participants incorrectly said that a person needs to be baptized in order to go to heaven. 71% of the participants incorrectly said that a the sinner is justified through baptism of the Holy Spirit. 72% of the participants incorrectly said that a sinner is justified through faith in Jesus Christ plus good works. I hope you understand the difference between justification by faith alone and justification by faith plus good works. Then 83% incorrectly said that Christians can lose their salvation. Now, these are high statistics. And all these results simply point to the fact that the majority of professing Christians, especially in India, do not understand the gospel or what it means to be a true Christian or a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I suspect that these statistics are not very much different to other parts of the world, especially here in the UAE, where all 
different types of nationalities gather. So before we call ourselves Christians, before we claim that name, that title, John wants to make it clear that fellowship with God is not a matter of being chummy chummy with your good buddy in the sky. He asserts, number one, in our verse that we're looking at this morning, in verse 5, that God is absolutely holy. That God is holy. So my first point this morning is the foundation. We see that in verse 5. And the foundation is that God is light. God is light. Verse 5 says, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. To have genuine fellowship with the Holy God, we must obviously walk in the light because He Himself is, is light. You know, it's easy to claim to have fellowship with God. And many people claim this, but so many professors are mistaken. And they are deceived. And that was the problem even right here in this letter where John was writing to the early church. The false teachers here that were trying to influence the, the true Christians, trying to corrupt the, the true church, they were claiming to have fellowship with God, but their claims were blatantly false. There was in John's day, as there is today, the danger of profession, the danger of claiming to know God, but of course being deceived. Professing is very different to possessing. If you take your notes, write that down. Professing is very different to possessing. John's message is, to have fellowship with the Holy God, we must not walk in darkness, but walk in light. And he goes on to show us that this is really fruit of the Spirit that is living within us. If we're claiming to be Christians and we're walking in the, in the darkness, then we, then we are deceived. We are not true believers. C.S. Lewis, famous author and Christian writer, he said, We believe in God like we believe in the sun. Not because we see the sun, but because by the sun we see everything else. And a couple of weeks ago, our ministry team arrived back from India. And we went there during the monsoon season. And the monsoon season is really three months of constant rain, where you, where you never see the sun because the clouds are always covering up the, the sun and the, and the sky. And if I was to ask anyone during that time who obviously lived there in India, if they believe in the sun, of course they would say yes. They would say yes, not because they can see the sun, but because they can see the effect of the sun. They don't have to walk around with candles, they don't have to walk around with torches during the daytime because they see the effect of the sun, even though they don't see the sun itself. And that's exactly the same principle we're looking at here in terms of how God's light shines upon us and reflects off us as believers, as Christians. People may not be able to see God, but they can see His church as they reflect the sun of the Holy Holy God. Reflect the light of the Holy God. And the first picture of God that John wants to put before us is this picture that God is light. God is light. Of course, light in the scripture is a symbol of purity. It's a symbol of truth. It's a symbol of knowledge 
prosperity even, and, and happiness. And of course, darkness is the very opposite to light. John here says that God is light. He doesn't say God is the light. He doesn't say God is a light. But he says light itself. God is light itself. He himself is all the light. He's the source. He's the, the very foundation of light in all of the, the world. He is perfectly pure. There's no sin in him. There's no mixture of darkness in him. And the expression here is designed to affirm that God is absolutely perfect. That there is nothing in him which is in any way imperfect. In this doctrine that God is a pure light, John lays down as the substance of all that, that he had to teach. Remember, this is the foundation. This is the beginning of his letter. And it was so important for us to, to know this in the very beginning. In fact, the foundation of, of a biblical understanding of truth and a proper view of, of all religion take their origins from this truth. That God is light. And notice in the second part of verse 5 there, this truth is offset with a comparison. And in Him is no darkness at all. Now, of course, this is a comparison. And we see in this passage there are a, multi, a number of comparisons. Light versus darkness. We see lies versus truth. He talks about our walk versus our, our talk. And he uses comparisons to teach and emphasize these important truths. But this darkness comparison is a negative comparison. It's a negative comparison. And it's important that it's there. Why does he use this negative comparison? Why doesn't he just say God is light? Wouldn't that be sufficient? Wouldn't it be enough for us? God is light, but yet he says, in him there is no darkness at all. Isn't this just another way of, of saying the, the same thing? Well, not actually. Remember, John was writing to warn and instruct his readers of false teachers who denied, number one, that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh. And the teaching was that Christ only appeared to be human. He only appeared to be human. Of course, there, was not, there wasn't a real incarnation, and we talked about the importance of that, and the reality of that. There was no incarnation, that means there was no divine Savior. There was just a man, who was just a sinner, like everybody else. And if there's no divine Savior, then we have nobody who was able to die for our sins. Nobody who was able to give up his life as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And then we are in trouble if that is the case. And they used to teach that it only seemed like Christ died, these false teachers. It only seemed like He died. He didn't really die. He just fainted on the cross and then later on He was released or He escaped. And this teaching was known as docketism. Docketism comes from the Greek word dokio which means to seem. To seem. That's what they would teach. It just seemed that God died. That Jesus died. And this philosophy is still alive and, and well today. 
Now the Quran has a, a dokitic view of Jesus Christ. Let me explain. Now they see Jesus as a good man, rather than as a redeemer, rather than as a, a savior. They don't see him as an incarnated son of God, but rather an ordinary man who did not die on the cross of Calvary. It's the same type of philosophy that these, these early false teachers had during the time of John. There were, of course, and still are many false teachers around today. One of those false teachings still active today is called dualism. The concept of dualism assumes that there are, that there are two separate entities. There is good and there is evil, which oppose each other and fight against each other and are equally powerful with each other. Uh, in Greek philosophy, the, the Gnostics taught that uh, the good was, was spiritual and the evil was material. So they believed it didn't matter if you, if you committed sexual adultery because that was just material, that was just your body, that was just flesh, it wasn't your spirit, so it was okay. You could, you could commit those type of sexual sins. And they were confused, but they ultimately believed in a force that had a, had a dark side. And you get this in, in Buddhism today as well. Buddhist spirituality. You get it in Hinduism as, as well today. And the physicists might call it energy. But we even get it in the movies, in Star Wars. You would call it the force. May the force be with you. Come to the dark side. You've heard the phrase, I'm sure. It's all these philosophies that are still very much prevalent in our, in our world today. That promote that there is a good side and a dark side. But what John is teaching us here is that, is that is false. We mustn't allow these philosophies of the world to influence our thinking of who God is. There is only one God with all overriding power. And that power is, of course, God Almighty as revealed to us in the Scriptures. According to the, the scriptural evidence, there is only one power that is omnipotent. Not two powers. And all doctrines which teach that there are two equal powers opposing each other, good and evil, is a false doctrine. I remember as a youngster listening to Chris the Berg. For the younger people, I'm sure you have no idea who that is. And he sang a song about, about God playing chess with, with the devil. And the souls of men were at stake if the devil was able to deceive um, God as they played chess together. Those are two opposing forces. And, and those, but that's the same dualism, dualism philosophy that, that's still prevalent in the world today. God is all-powerful. Satan has a limited amount of power. He has a limited amount of power that he, that he can use. He, there is no way that he can um, overthrow God in any shape or form. God is ultimately omnipotent, totally powerful. And in this verse, the Apostle John is saying there is only one God who reigns. There is no alternative in this world. There's not a God with, with two sides, like we see in the, in the yin and the yang. It's not a good God and, and a bad God. And he's saying that there is one God who has no dark side. No dark side. In Him, 
there is no darkness at all. The Lord our God is one. He is perfectly and completely holy. He is light. The Lord is one God. Which means darkness does not come from God. Darkness does not come from God. God is pure and unadulterated. The problem is we tend to create God in our, in our own image. We tend to make a false God in our own minds about the person who created this world. Some of you are familiar with the name Stephen Furtick. I want to warn you against listening to his teachings. He is a false teacher. He's a pastor of Elevation Church in the US. And he does not believe in the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. And he preached a sermon, and you can search this online or YouTube it if you want. And the name of the, the sermon is God Broke the Law for Love. He doesn't believe in the sinlessness of God. He doesn't believe that God is light, that He is perfectly pure and holy. First Peter chapter 2, verse 22 tells us, Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. Sin is lawlessness, as we will see later on in chapter 3. And if Jesus broke the law, then doesn't it mean He sinned? Of course it does. Does it not then mean that there is darkness in God? Of course it does. And we tend to fear that that God is like us. And sometimes we, we make Him in our minds as if He's like us. That God does have a dark side, like Darth Vader. And we buy into this dualistic view of, of God. The God of the Old Testament, who is all full of wrath, versus the, the Jesus of the New Testament, who is a God of love. And we try and reconcile those things together. And we listen to the, to the devil when he comes and he tempts us. He tempts us and he suggests, you know, if God is good, why does he allow this to happen to you? If God is really good, why are these things happening to you? Or he may suggest, that is God not being cruel by telling you not to do this? He tries to make you believe that God is not good. That's exactly what Satan did in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? It's exactly what he did with Eve. He suggested to her that God did not really say that because he didn't want her to know some secrets. He didn't want her to be all knowing. We tempted to believe these lies. We are tempted to believe these lies that the devil puts into our minds. When you think about this for a moment. This is, this is huge. Just think about what we're doing when we say, I don't believe in a God who would do this, or I don't believe in a God who would do that. You're really sitting in judgment upon God. Now you're basically saying that you know better than God. That you are more moral than God. And that your judgment is, is better than God. 
completely wrong. We're setting ourselves up as, as a God above God. I don't believe the lies of the devil, folks. The scriptures tell us God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. God is good. All the time. We just sang the song. He is a good, good Father. Do we really believe this? Do we really believe this? He works all things for His good pleasure. We need to trust His character. We need to trust His purpose. Even when we might not understand it. Even if we cannot make sense of it. Trust His character. He is light. This means if you draw near to God, you won't find the, the darkness of doubt. You won't find the darkness of worry. You won't find the darkness of anxiety. Rather, you find the light. You find freedom. You find, you find peace. You find hope. You find joy that the Scriptures are talking about. Our goal of ultimate and eternal joy is secured in God because there is no darkness in Him. He is perfect in every way. There's no shadows that are lurking behind Him. He doesn't have any hidden agenda. There's no small, some small fine print. He is light. And in Him, there is no darkness. Light is the promise of hope and joy. Darkness is the threat of despair and misery. The threat of despair and misery. God is light and in Him is no darkness. And this is the message that John heard from Jesus. This is the message which he heard from Jesus. Jesus came into the world to reveal this truth to us. It's the foundation of this letter, of this whole book. This leads me to my second point. The application. The application. Walk in the light. Verse 6 and 7 draws out the practical application from this truth. Verse 6 gives the negative side of the application. It says, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And do not live according to the truth. To understand this paragraph, we must see that John is writing against the false claims of these false teachers. And their first claim was that we have fellowship with God. We are true believers. But John says that their lives did not back up their claim. What they were talking was not backed up by the way that they were living. They walked in darkness. And they lied. And they did not practice the truth. What does it mean to walk in darkness? Well, turn with me to chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. From verses 8 to 11, we have some real clear indications of what it means. It says that he who hates his brother is in the darkness, and he who loves his brother abides in the light. So you are walking in the light, which means being, being a loving person, displaying the character of Christ to those around you, especially your brothers and sisters in the Lord. It doesn't mean walking in darkness and, and hating people and being angry with people and being jealous with people. In verse 8 
of chapter 2 says, look there at the end, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And what is this darkness that is passing away? Well, notice the same word for passing away is used in verse 17. Look at verse 17. The world is passing away and the desire of it. We can conclude from this that walking in darkness means being controlled by our desires for this world instead of our desires for God. Walking in darkness means being controlled by the desires of this world. And the reason this is called walking in darkness is that they are blind to the light of God. They are blind. They have more desire for the world and the things of the world than they have for God. To choose gravel over diamonds, you have to be blind, yes? Here's an illustration I read about a man in a dark room. He feels the soft fur with one hand and he feels a cold, sharp edge with the other. And he draws closer to the warmth and, and the softness of the fur. But when the light goes on, he sees that the warm, soft fur is the underbelly of a, of a huge, man-eating monster. And the cold, hard edge is the, the sword of the majestic Christ who is ready to save. And the reason why he was controlled by his desire for the soft fur, which was the, the man-eating monster, because he was in darkness. He didn't realize that that was a monster. And everyone who loves the world more than God is in the dark. And they run after things that will hurt them. They pursue things which will cause them harm and danger and ultimate despair. And depression. They think these things of the world will fill them with joy and will give them hope, but they are in darkness. The problem is, this is a willful darkness. As John says in John chapter 3, verse 19, the light is coming to the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. When you walk in darkness, you are controlled by the desires for the, the soft, warm fur of the monster. You're controlled by the power and the pleasures of sin. This is the very opposite of what it means to have fellowship with God. You cannot say you have fellowship with God when you are being controlled by sin, by the world and its desires. Fellowship with God means that you see things the way God sees them. And you have the same desire for these things that God has. That you flee from them. That you don't enjoy these things. But rather that you enjoy God. That you enjoy the life that He has put you in. We must not walk in the darkness of this world. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. Look at verse 7. And verse 7 gives the positive side of the, the application we see there in verse 5. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, 
we have fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light is not a description of a, of a class of Christians. Those who are more spiritual than others. Those who have achieved perfection or are on some higher plane of sanctification. Rather, it's describing all true believers. Believers who walk in the light. Unbelievers walk in the darkness. Walking in the light is opposite of walking in darkness. It means seeing reality for what it is and being controlled by desires that are in harmony with, with God's light. To walk in the light is to live openly before God, seeking to be holy and hating our sin. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15 says, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Jesus says something very similar in John chapter 3 verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God does not imply that the person walking in the light never sins. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we're completely perfect. If we were completely perfect, we would be in heaven. We would be glorified. John tells us that so much. Look at chapter 7, the second part, sorry, uh, verse 7. The second part of verse 7. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We sinners. We need this cleansing. And the word cleanses there, look, is in the present tense. It's not in the past tense. It's not in the future tense. It's in the present tense. The blood of Jesus is cleansing the sin from the one who is walking in the light. It's a continual action. So to walk in the light doesn't mean to be sinless, which none of us can be. Rather, it points to a pattern. It points to a habit of of living openly, transparently before God, honestly before God, who examines our hearts, who knows our hearts, who searches our hearts. To walk in the light is to seek to be holy. To live a a holy life is to pursue a holy life. But what about when we sin? What happens when we sin? When a believer sins, he does not lose the forgiveness and the cleansing that took place at salvation. But he does not experience the peace. He doesn't experience the cleansing in his walk until he confesses his sins. You won't lose your salvation if you sin, but you will lose that that wonderful communion that you would have with God. Think about your wife. Think about your husband. Just because you have an argument with each other doesn't mean you're no longer husband and wife. Your position is secured in Christ. He has adopted you as His child. That can never change. But your experience with Him can change. If you are enjoying sin, if you are falling into a sin. That's why we need this, that's why we need this cleansing. We need to be able to confess our sins. And it's an ongoing confession. It's not something we do just, just once a month or, or once a week when we come to church something we should be doing as a daily habit recognizing our sin and asking God to 
to forgive it. Turning away from that sin. That's what repentance means. Turning away from it. 180 degree turn. Not, not enjoying it all the time. And to walk in the light results in fellowship with God and fellowship with His people. If we are walking in the light, we are enjoying God and we're enjoying this, this relational fellowship with God's people, with the body of Christ. The reference there to one another in verse 7 refers to fellowship between God and the believer or between believers and believers. Or in the immediate context from verse 6, it refers to fellowship with God. And in verse 7, it would just seem to point in the other direction, fellowship with each other. But verse 3 also refers to fellowship with other believers. So I think that in verse 7, John's primary emphasis is on fellowship with God. But it's true for both cases. Fellowship with God and fellowship with believers is always linked. It's always linked. We see verse 3 makes this clear. And of course these heretics that were preaching these false doctrines wanted nothing to do with the, with the church of Jesus Christ. They were the ones who were criticizing the church and attacking the church. And they left the church. And that was indicative that they were not walking in the light. And John wants us to know that true fellowship with God always brings us into fellowship with others who know Him. People often ask me, why is membership so important? Because of this very reason. God saved us, not so that we can be independent Christians walking around and enjoying God on our own. That's not, God how, that's not how God designed us. We are designed to be together, a community of faith, a faith family, that are living this covenant relationship together, as we walk together, as we provoke each other, as we encourage each other to walk in the light. We cannot do it on our own. It's important that we become members of a local church. It's important that you become participants in a home group. Maybe I'm beating a dead horse here. But what's the reason for you not wanting to come to a home group? I know there are people here that are not in a home group. Are you perhaps having some some issues with being together in a group that wants to honor God, well then perhaps you need to examine your heart. Perhaps you need to examine whether you are in fellowship with God if you don't want to have fellowship with other believers. And that's what John wants you to examine. That's what John wants you to, to see right here in this passage. Don't be deceived. Don't profess to be a Christian when you don't possess Christ. So verse 7 teaches that the only way to preserve this, this precious jewel of, of deep unity with, with God and with other believers is to walk in the light. Walk in the light. To see things in the light of God. To let God be your, be your pathway to joy. My third point this morning, and my last point, is the clarification. The clarification. Sin is not light. And that seems obvious, but it needs to be stated. Sin is not light. We see that from verse 8 to, to verse 10. Why do you keep preaching to us Christians about sin? An angry church member said to her pastor once. 
After all, sin in the life of a Christian is different from sin in the life of an unsaved person, isn't it? Well, yes, replied the pastor, it's much worse. That's what verse 8 is telling us. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. To walk in darkness is to try to hide from God, rather than to expose your life to Him. I remember going on a holiday with my mother and sister when we were um, very young, and we hired a, a cottage on the south coast of South Africa there, and um, lots of humidity, <coughs> lots of other problems and issues, and I remember waking up in the middle of the night, going to the bathroom, and fumbling around in the dark, and got to the, to the bathroom, and I switched on the light, and all on the floor of the bathroom was cockroaches. Everywhere I looked, there were cockroaches. As soon as the light went on, they all scattered into the crevices and the cracks, away from the light. The light was exposing them. They didn't want to be in the light. And that's the problem with sin. That's the same picture here. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We don't want the light of God to shine upon us. And we avoid church. We avoid fellowship with each other. We avoid Christians. We avoid the Word of God. And that's what these false teachers were trying to, to teach in this early church. And John is warning about claims that they had achieved sinless perfection. Perhaps because of their Gnostic doctrines, they believed that the body could not touch the spirit. Therefore they could sin. It wasn't an issue. And what the church was teaching was nonsense. Let me continue in my sin. It's just my body. It's no problem. It's no issue. It doesn't matter. You're just seeing my body. You're not, you're not seeing my, my soul, my spirit which is pure, my spirit which is clean. John says, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. And the heretic's claim is there in verse 10. They said, we have not sinned. This is the most blatant claim that they made. John says, if you say this, you make God a liar. And his word is not in you. You cannot say we have not sinned. You cannot say we are not now sinning. Perhaps they were claiming that their enlightenment had led them to see that they were basically good. That they were basically good at the core. And they were not evil sinners. Well, here's another name to be careful of. Joyce Mayer. Be careful of her. She's a false teacher. She said once in a sermon that she is not a sinner. And hear her words. She said, I am not poor, I am not miserable, and I am not a sinner. I don't stop sinning until I finally, sorry, I didn't stop sinning until I finally got it through my thick head, I wasn't a sinner anymore. And the, and the religious world thinks that's heresy. Yes, of course, because it is heresy. It is heresy. John tells us here, here in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And notice that John, the apostle, says we here. The apostle is including himself. 
The Apostle John is a sinner. Nine times in this section, John mentions the word sin. God is light, but sin is darkness. Sin is a problem. We don't solve the problem by ignoring the problem. We don't solve the problem by, by calling it a different name. We don't solve the problem by, by diluting it and watering it down. This week, Jason was sharing with me about a colleague that he works with here in, in Abu Dhabi, who he claims to, to be a Christian. And this colleague is engaged to be married uh, to his fiance. And Jason kept asking his colleague when he was going to get married, what day he was going to get married. And his reply was, was very vague, it was very non-committal. And then Jason found out from this man that, in fact, this colleague was living with his fiance, and he was having sexual intercourse with his fiance. And Jason confronted him and said, how can you call yourself a Christian and be living such sin, blatant sin? How can you call yourself a Christian and be walking in the darkness? That's what Jason was asking. And that's the perfect question to ask. He was justifying his sin. He was calling his sin something else, renaming it. Trying to be accepted like the world accepts it. A person walking in the light does not deny his sin. He doesn't try to cover up his sin. And he doesn't blame others for his sin. Or make excuses for his sin. Verse 9 tells us that we need to confess our sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's conditional, folks. God's not going to forgive you, He's not going to cleanse you unless you confess. Unless you confess, unless you admit to God. And agree with God that your sin is sin. And turn from it. <coughs> to confess means to agree with God that our sin is sin. It means to accept responsibility for it. And God's wonderful promise is that if we do this, if we confess our sins, number one, He is faithful to forgive us. Number two, He is righteous to cleanse us. And He will make us whole again. And He will take that guilt away. And He will take that condemnation away. And He will cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. And He will make us clean and pure. Now John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, he said, If you have sinned, do not lie down without repentance. For the want or the lack of repentance after one has sinned, makes the heart harder and harder. Let me finish with a quote that I used last week from Warren Wesley. He said, if a true believer is out of fellowship with God, it's usually for one of three reasons. Number one, he has disobeyed God's will. Number two, he is not getting along with fellow believers. Number three, he believes a lie. He is therefore living a lie. He hasn't confessed his sins. He's enjoying his sins. It's easy to put on a religious veneer, a religious mask, by claiming that you have fellowship with God, by wearing a cross around your neck, by coming to church. It's easy to profess that you're a Christian, 
when in fact you're really walking in the darkness. You're deceiving others, but more importantly, you are deceiving yourself. And John doesn't want us to be deceived. He wants us to experience this genuine fellowship with the Holy God by walking in the light as He Himself is light. You see, the thing about this darkness is this. If, you, if you're the light, that's where you're going to shine. If you're the light, that's where you're going to shine. And that's where, you, that's where we have to shine. The Lord's brought us here to the, to the UAE. He's brought us from all different parts of the world so that we can shine our lights. And when we go back to the other parts of the world we're from, we get to shine our lights so that people may see our good God and glorify Him. God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. And we have all these wonderful opportunities to share this light of Christ. He is pure, He is holy, and He is good. And He has called us to be a reflection of this light that He sheds abroad in our hearts. And may this week God grant all of us that we will be able to walk in the light and live a life that is pleasing to Him for the joy of His people and for the glory of our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this really simple but profound truth that we have seen in your word this morning. I pray, Father, that you would help us to examine our hearts. I pray that you would allow the Spirit of God to expose the sin that is keeping us from walking in the light. Thank you, Lord, that you are light. And in you is no darkness at all. Thank you that you are the perfect God who we can come to, who we can anchor our souls upon. You are the strong tower. You are a good, good Father. So help us, Lord, not just to be singing these songs with our lips this morning, but may we be walking these truths in our lives this week as we go out into the world. If you would use us, Lord, for your glory as we live lives that are pleasing to you, lives that reflect the wonderful character and nature of our God. So thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus again, that we can be reconciled to this holy God. May we live lives that honor you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.